Chapter One of the Silent Rifleman: A Tale of the Texan Prairies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by E. J. Wiley, Seguin, Texas. The Silent Rifleman: A Tale of the Texan Prairies by Henry William Herbert and James Jackson. Chapter One the horse and the rider it wanted an hour or two of sunset on a lovely evening in the latter part of september when a single horseman might have been seen making his way to the westward across the high dry prairie land which lies between the upper portion of the river nueces and the bravo del norte he was a small spare man of no great personal power but of a figure which gave promise of great agility and capability of enduring fatigue the most remarkable feature of which was the extraordinary length of his arms his countenance without being in the least degree handsome was pleasing and expressive a short heavy english rifle carrying a ball of twelve to the pound was slung by a black leather belt across his shoulder the braided strap which supported his large buffalo horn powder flask and bullet pouch of otter skin crossing it on his breast from a leather girdle which was buckled about his waist he had hung a long straight two-edged sword in a steel scabbard with a silver basket hilt on the left side which was counterbalanced by a long broad-bladed hunting knife with a buckhorn hilt resting upon his right hip there were holsters at the bow of his large mexican saddle containing a pair of fine dueling pistols with ten-inch barrels and in addition to these there was suspended from the pummel a formidable hatchet with a bright steel head and a spike at the back, like an Indian tomahawk, but in all respects a more ponderous and superior instrument. On the croup of his horse, and attached to the cantle of the saddle, he carried a small valise of untanned leather with a superb Mexican blanket of blue and scarlet strapped upon it, and a large leathern bottle with a horn drinking cup swinging from it on one side, while to the other was fastened a portion of the loin of a fat buck, which had fallen in the course of the morning by the rifle of the traveller. The horse which carried this well-appointed rider was a dark brown thoroughbred. At length, when the sun was no longer above three times the width of his own disc from the level line of the lowest plain, he set his spurs to his horse, and put him from the high slashing trot which he had hitherto maintained into a long slinging gallop, which carried him over the ground at the rate of some sixteen miles the hour. After he had ridden at this rate for thirty or forty minutes, he reached the brow of one of the low rolling waves of earth, which constitute the surface of the prairie, and thence saw the land falling away in a long gentle slope for some six miles toward the west, at which distance it was bounded by a long continuous line of hills, whose range seemed interminable. At the base of this range appeared a dense line, looking somber enough at that distance but which the experienced eye of the horseman well knew indicated a heavy growth of timber, perhaps a deep forest, and within its shadowy depths a wide and never-failing stream. A short half-hour brought them to the forest just as the sun was setting. Through this wild paradise the mighty river rolled its pellucid waves, rapid and deep and strong, and as transparent as the purest crystal. Galloping his horse joyfully over the rich green turf, the traveller soon reached the river, at a spot where it was bordered by a little beach, or margin of pure white sand, as firm and almost as hard as marble, 
and springing into the cool, clear water, till it laved the heaving flanks of his charger, he suffered it to drink long and deep of the pure beverage, which had not touched its thirsty lips since the early morning. This duty done, he returned to the shore, and selecting an oak tree about two feet in girth, around which the grass grew unusually tall and luxuriant, tied his companion to its stem by the lasso or cord of plaited hide which was coiled at his saddle-bow. Then, after polishing his accoutrements, as if for parade, he hung his rifle and his broadsword from the fork of a stunted oak tree, collecting some dry leaves and branches, and striking a light from the ready flint and steel, soon had a clear bright fire glancing and flashing in a sheltered nook, surrounded on all sides but one, that where his horse was tethered by a dense and impenetrable thicket of bays, prickly pear, and holly. Within a few minutes, half a dozen twigs fixed on the ground about the blazing fire supported as many steaks of fat venison, each with a biscuit under it imbibing the delicious gravy, and a second with salt and pepper, all of which unusual dainties were supplied from the small valise of the provident and epicurean frontiersman. While his supper was cooking thus, and sending forth rich and unwanted odors through the forest, our traveler had prepared his simple couch, spreading his handsome poncho on the deep herbage, with a saddle arranged for his pillow. If, however, he had hoped to enjoy his coming meal and his night's repose without interruption, he had reckoned without his host for at the same instant in which his charger ceased from feeding, snuffed the air eagerly, and uttered a low whinny, the traveler started to his feet and listened anxiously for a moment. Although there were no sounds which could have been distinguished by any human ear unsharpened by the necessities and habits of a woodman's life. Satisfied, apparently, that something was at hand which might mean mischief, he quietly took up his pistols and thrust them into his girdle, reached down his rifle from the branch on which it hung, loosened his wood-knife in its scabbard, and passed the handle of the hatchet through a loop in his sword-belt, so that the head rested in a sort of fold or pocket in the leather, evidently prepared for its reception, and the half lay close on his left thigh. These preparations made silently, promptly, yet deliberately, he stooped and laid his ear to the ground, nor did he raise himself to his full height for several minutes. Two, four, six eight, he muttered to himself at intervals. Yes, there are eight of them. Again he laid his ear to the ground and listened. Yes, there are eight of them. Sure enough, he again muttered, and then, after a pause, he added, but two of them are mules, I think, and they are coming right down hitherward. Then he looked to his rifle lock and cocked his piece. Unless they turn aside when they reach the timber, they will be on me in five minutes, and if they know the forest, they will not turn, that's certain for here's the only place where you can find hard bottom to ride in and out of the old bravo for ten miles up and down. He paused from his soliloquy, listened again, and then a smile crept across his intelligent face. Bah, he said, I have been disquieting myself for nothing. They are dragoon horses. I can tell their managed pace, though what the devil brings dragoons hither, the devil himself best knows. Then he hung up his arms as before, again removed saddle and bridle from his horse, threw down his pistols and his hatchet on the grass, and instead of concealing himself in ambush, unarmed, except his wood-knife, stepped quiet at his ease forth from the cover of his thicket, and strode boldly forward to meet the newcomers. He had not advanced above a hundred yards from the spot where his horse was tethered and his fire burning before he discovered the little band of travelers 
just entering the belt of timber at not above a hundred yards distance from the point where he himself had ridden into it from the open prairie that however which instantly caught the eye of the rover was the form of a female and a female evidently of the superior classes forming one of the party which beside herself consisted as he saw at half a glance of an officer and four privates of dragoons or mounted riflemen precious lads these he muttered through his teeth to be travelling the prairies and not see my trail at a short hundred yards by jove i believe they will cross it without notice however i'll give them a fright anyhow so here goes and with the words he clapped his hand to his mouth and uttered a long-drawn indian yell which made the arches of the force echo and re-echo its cadences till it died quavering in the far distance the rifles of the little party were cocked in an instant and two or three were instinctively cast up and leveled in the direction whence the sound proceeded but the woodman did not wait for any further demonstrations of hostility but stepped calmly forth from his covert calling out as he did so in a loud clear voice whither and whence friends so carelessly this bright evening but ere the words were half out of his lips he was interrupted by the sharp crack of a rifle discharged at him within twenty paces the ball of which sang past his head perhaps at a foot's distance but entirely unmoved by the assault or by the peril he had run he finished his sentence quietly and then added a miserably bad shot that my lad and a most unsoldierly act to fire a shot at all without waiting orders do not you say so lieutenant you are very much to blame yourself fellow first for yelling in that wild fashion for the purpose of creating an alarm and then for approaching a command so rashly who are you fellow speak fellow fellow replied the other half soliloquizing and a command hey command truly a couple of commodus or one of jack hay's men would make an end of such a command before it had seen where to throw away one bullet well sir and who are you then i pray pierre delacroix at your service what he who is commonly known as pierre the partisan lieutenant interrupted the other quietly yes i am the man and my horse emperor of whom you have heard since you have heard of me is down in the break yonder and what is the better thing just now there is a good fire burning and some venison steaks ready by this time if they be not overdone and a flask of good cherry wine and some cool water and if you and your fair lady will share the supper of the partisan i shall be happy to think that i am pardoned for the slight alarm i gave you and after supper we will hear what has brought you hither and what i can do to serve you is it a bargain surely it is and very thankful shall we be for your hospitality and yet more for your advice this is the famous soldier julia he continued turning to the lady who accompanied him of whom you have heard so much and whom we had hoped to meet at san antonio no more words were spoken until they reached the spot which delacroix had selected for his bivouac but as they did so an exclamation of pleasure burst from julia's lips at the romantic beauty of the scene the travellers immediately dismounted now as julia stood erect before the partisan with a clear light of the blazing wood fire falling full on her face and revealing all the charms of a figure tall as the tallest of her sex voluptuous and fully rounded yet slight withal and delicate and slender as the fairest ideal of a poet's dream he thought that he had never looked upon anything so perfectly and femininely lovely for some moments he stood gazing at her mute 
and positively breathless with admiration. Then suddenly recollecting himself, he called to the nearest of the dragoons, bidding him lead the lady's horse down to the river and water him, and then conducted her respectfully to the place where he had spread his poncho on the grass, and with the aid of that and his large saddle, arranged for her an extemporaneous armchair near the fire, which the fresh coolness of the woods rendered not wholly needless, even at that season, while the thin smoke that rose from the wood embers kept the mosquitoes at a distance. Meanwhile, some of the dragoons applied themselves to clean the horses and accoutrements, while others unloaded the pack-mules and unbuckling the bags and cases which they carried, produced camp-kettles and canteens and a small india-rubber tent and camp-bed which was speedily set up and prepared in the methodical manner of the old soldier, and promised better accommodation for the lady. "'My cooking is ready, lady, such as it is,' said the partisan, "'and I fancy you have the Spartan sauce, which even makes the black broth palatable.' Julia started a little at the classical allusion, and cast a quick glance at her young husband, whose attention had been fixed on another portion of the roving soldier's speech, and said quickly, repeating the partisan's word, "'Lady, indeed I have been strangely remiss and discourteous. Major Delacroix, in the first hurry of our introduction I forgot to name ourselves to you. Though Yankee-like, yet I assure you I am not a Yankee. I by no means forgot to exhort from you all that I wished to know.' I should have imagined, Jewel, that you would have found tongue enough by this time to make yourself known to Major Delacroix, but since it seems you have not done so, better late than never. Allow me, Major Delacroix, to present you to Mrs. Arthur Gordon, six weeks ago Miss Julia Forrester of New Orleans, and that done, to call your attention to my very humble and unworthy self, Arthur Gordon, first lieutenant of the second dragoons. When Arthur Gordon pronounced the words, julia forrester he started forward and exclaimed what what it cannot be the daughter of my best and oldest friend colonel john forrester i recollect his wife's name whom i never saw was julia julia gordon blushed crimson as he spoke and then in an instant turned as pale as ashes my mother she gasped out with a great exertion of the will compelling herself to speak at all my poor mother i never saw her either at least not within my recollection. Yes, Major Delacroix, I am Colonel John Forster's wild and willful daughter. God bless him, she continued, a big tear swelling to her eye, as he deserves a better child. Not so, not so, young lady. I am certain that is not so. A brighter or more beautiful he could not have, and it will be hard to convince me he could have a better. Lieutenant Gordon, allow me to shake your hand and congratulate you. Your father-in-law and your sweet lady's father was, I may say, to me more than a father, for when nature robbed me of both my parents, he supplied both their places. God bless John Forster and all who love and honor him. So thoroughly was the partisan engrossed by his own warm and generous feelings that he did not perceive at all what would at any other time have been sufficiently apparent to a man of his keen and intuitive sagacity that there was something of evident discomposure in the manner of the young officer as he spoke to him of his father-in-law the green carpet of the meadow was spread with their simple fare and the partisan did the honors of his camp with a singular blending of the frontiersman's bluntness and the easy manners of the gentleman and soldier there was, however, an inexplicable gloom hanging over the little party, and scarcely was a frugal meal ended 
before on the pretext of weariness the lady retired to her tent and the husband went away for a few minutes as he said to inspect his sentries while pierre delacroix filled his indian pipe with kinnikinnick and stretching himself at full length on his blanket in the warmth of the fire rested his head on his elbow and mused more deeply than he had done for many a year rolling out all the time great volumes of the odiferous smoke of that indian mixture which he had learned to prefer to havana End of chapter one recording by e j wiley seguin texas